Keywords in Play. You are listening to Keywords in Play, an interview series about game research supported by Critical Distance and the Digital Games Research Association. As a joint venture, Keywords in Play expands Critical Distance's commitment to innovative writing and research about games, while using a conversational style to bring new and diverse scholarship to a wider audience. yourself and your research in your own words. Oh, thanks for having me here. I'm Tingting Liu. I'm currently working at the School of Journalism and Communication, Jinan University, which is based in Guangzhou, China. And I used to study and live in Sydney, in Brisbane uh, for my PhD and then my postdoc project. Speaking of my PhD, I did ethnography fieldwork in Southeast China, focusing on digital romance in precarious times, the digital culture, digital dating culture. But my research focus have always been looking at how changes and continuities of rural urban relationships and sexualities and gender relations and how they are manifested in people's leisure time activities. And my research focused on digital dating, online gaming, and people's experience of having pets, etc. So I'm basically a cultural anthropologist who has a research uh, interest in new media and new cultural practices in China. Ting Ting, you've undertaken some fascinating research concerning digital intimacies in China looking at this quite broad range of subjects spanning the implicit and explicit ideologies in playful dating apps and game platforms and so on, you seem to show that these interactions and digital identities are not isolated but are connected to broader trends in the digital media economy. Is that a fair assessment of your work? And where might I have gone wrong in summarising it? Well, uh, yeah, it's it's all right because I have a particularly uh, interest in a Applying anthropological research methods such as in-depth face-to-face interviews and participant observation to studying digital culture, that's correct. And I hope this method will allow for a deeper understanding of the social, cultural and behavioral aspects of digital phenomenon. But I wouldn't say that I intended to do that because I am a quite normal Asian kid who grew up in a quite conservative educational background. So my parents would say digital gaming is for the bad kids and online dating are for the fallen girls. And I wouldn't say I I had already envisioned this career doing things about digital dating or gaming. If I say that to my father, my father would say, nonsense, think twice, what are you talking about? Uh, it is really my focus on my very interest are, are really quite a typical or conventional cultural anthropology within the boundary of the field of uh, cultural anthropology. 
I look at how class relations, how gender relations, how sexuality cultures have been changed, and how those things are played out in people's pace time, leisure activities. That's my very research focus, and my research journey has taken me into this wonderful journey that is full of people's online dating stories and their gaming stories. And I'm particularly interested in meet people, talk to people, and also I'm very into non-fictional writing. So that's probably the hardcore of anthropology. Yeah, but by saying so, but my understanding of anthropology may not be a very typical anthropology because I I will find myself very hard to publish my works in anthropological journals or. When I attended anthropology conferences, you can imagine how how weird I am. So that's my, yeah, that's how I understand my uh my very positionality. Yeah. Okay, I'd like to discuss your paper, video games as dating platforms, exploring digital intimacies through Chinese online dancing video games. I recognize that much of the research here is is older work. But I feel like this paper sets out much of what your research has continued to explore since, and it does so within a framework of game and play studies, which is, of course, of key relevance to this podcast. Are you able to give an overview of this paper and its findings, and perhaps to connect this paper to some of your more recent research? Yeah, well, that paper is the very starting point of my research in video games, but actually, it's a Byproduct of my PhD thesis. My PhD thesis focuses on the online dating experiences of Chinese rural to urban、uh, migrants. I lived with them. I lived inside a factory, and then when I lived there, I visited those internet bars. Those are in the industrial towns, and when I was there, I discovered this phenomenon、uh, in which The rural migrants would spend their time playing this game QQ Dazzling Dance, and then they will、um, meet their loved ones online. So the very question that drives this paper, this very small scale investigation, would be how video game become a dating platform for the rural migrants. So actually, I was doing research on online dating. But、uh, it, it guided me into this field, and I think in that paper I did two things. Firstly, I I analysis the the game itself, the tests, its rules, and、uh, the the marriage rituals in which in the game people can get married, and I just document that and、uh, conduct critical textual analysis on that. The other thing that I did is I interview. Those rural migrants, how they perceive those in-game marriages, are they real or are they not real? And how those online gaming marriages can be translated to real offline、uh, romantic relationships. So that's basically what I did in that paper, and it gave me it gave me this、uh, another chance really to look at how much we need. More work on game studies because it has become a very important phenomenon in 
rural migrants' life, and I, I, I guess it's the same too in urban middle class, but they perhaps uh, are playing different games. Is that so? I'm also, I'm also really interested by some of your more recent research collaborations that um, further bridge these ideas from platform studies and digital dating studies, work such as protecting our female gays' rights, Chinese female gamers and game producers, negotiations with government restrictions on erotic material. I really like how this article touches on the alliance between game makers and players and what you write as being the everyday conditioned, leisure-driven micro-resistance. Are you able to unpack that paper for us a little bit and what you see as being its central contributions? Well, yes, I have been doing this research on Otone games uh, in the past two years with uh, Zishan Lai, who used to work with me uh, in her master's degree, but she's, she's herself now. And she is a very devoted Otone game player. So Otone games are created by and for women, for heterosexual women. And it centers upon relation, romantic relationship between the player and gorgeously uh, constructed male NPCs, uh, non-playable characters. And this game interests me because I think it's, uh, it's not unusual to have romantic games because there are many romantic games or rape games for men to play. This game is quite, or what they call is adult game, not rape game. That's uh, that's my interpretation. So most of the adult games imported from Japan have been enjoyed by men. And this game, what's the name? Uh, Mr. Love. This game attracted me because it's made for Chinese women. And I found that it is the first generation of young women who have this kind of consumption, a desire, sexual, appealing game, only made to satisfy them. So I, I, would, I would like to ask, what, what are they thinking about the game and how they react to how they make sense of their gender identities? And their situation uh, in China, where the Chinese government have a very specific and strict censorship on erotic materials. So that gives the game a restrictive room to display the sexual materials. So that's what we are looking at in, in the paper. And very interestingly, we find that the gamers have aligned themselves with the game company to advocate for their sexual rights, to say, we are adults, we are adults. Why can't we enjoy this sexual game, really? And the game has developed some visual, audio, and interactive ways to navigate within the censorship. Yeah, that's probably what we have done, and we are still doing it because there are a wide variety of atom games emerging in China. That's fascinating. Yeah. Yes, it's super interesting. I want to ask you as well about your 2020 paper, The Freedom of Binge Gaming or Technologies of the Self. This is a fascinating paper and a fascinating concept, this idea of, of binge playing as kind of like revenge gaming. Mm -hmm. 
I'm curious to know how these uh, Chinese cultures and expectations of work and play exist and coexist and are upset by video games, how worker frustrations sometimes appear in these gaming spaces. But Werewolf is no um, video game, it's a board game. Of course, yes. But uh, in the two just mentioned games, those are not, uh, I, I, I'm i not a very big fan of this, uh, the, the games of Cuckoo Desert Dance or, or Mr. Love, but I'm a huge fan of Werewolf. So this paper is very close to me. Well, uh, the board game Werewolf, uh, listeners of this podcast would be quite familiar with it because it's from the English language gaming community. And also the game has some uh, video versions so you can play online, but still it's a social game. And I just found myself binge gaming Werewolf during my last two years of my PhD when I was super busy. And my research question is very, very simple. In a country where the white-collar urban middle class are working so hard, they're so busy, why are they still spending so much time in such a time and energy-consuming game as uh, Werewolf? So that's my research question. And I found that Chinese people, I think that's the same in Korea and in Japan, the white-collar middle class are, are working in a very shockingly desperate way, the long hours of work. And at the same time, people are spending a large number of uh, hours on games. But Chinese people, they are not unfamiliar to this kind of indoor pastime because we have mahjong, we have pass. When I was a little girl, I, I saw my parents playing mahjong for over 10 hours a day. So it's quite common in Asian countries. I know it's uncommon in, in Australia. That's also very interesting because Australian people are generally speaking, deductively speaking, would like outdoor activities like jogging, hiking, but uh, Chinese people would enjoy this kind of people squeezing in a very small indoor room, eating, smoking, drinking, and then playing ball games. So Chinese people are not unfamiliar with it. But, but the thing is, we are getting busy because our generation compared to my father, my parents' generation are much more busy. I think we can, we can clearly say that. And I think the next generation will, will be busier. And so I want to know why. And my answer to the question based on my observation and my interviews will say people will find this kind of binge gaming as a way to master their life, to to make them think life is uh, is worthy of living, because they can still spend a large amount of time uh, gaming. That sounds quite self-destructive, but I think it speaks to the very construction of the urban middle class identity now. This is a, a new identity in China because in China during the socialist era, the um, white collar middle class as a concept and as a collective class was erased because we are in a socialist structure. So this middle class identity is quite new. And I think gaming, binge gaming, unhealthy, self-destructive, self-harming, 
mode of binge gaming is lying at the center of people's coping strategies against this draining economic system. That's my finding. And I hope we can have a healthier lifestyle. But that is, I think that is still true even after the pandemic. That is fascinating. Yep. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your research methodology and how it informs your practice. Yeah, sure. I'm wondering, do you identify your work within a tradition of digital ethnography or are you meeting your participants in person? How do you feel these exchanges inform your research approach and, and your findings? Well, thank you for the question because uh, I think lying at the center of my methodological thinking, I will rely very much upon real-time, face-to-face, in-depth uh, observation and interviews because I, I was trained in this way in the Department of Social Science uh, the University of Queensland. Uh, and also, because when I was trained during my PhD, I just came to know that in Australian anthropologists are particularly interested in indigenous culture and people, how they make sense of land, how they make sense of post-settler society. And their work will rely much on ethnography, the very conventional way of ethnography. And I only used digital ethnography, what will we say, we collected materials from online observation only after the research on QQ Dazzling Dance. Because after that, I came to know that if I need to unpack why a game matters to my research participants, I have to know the rules, the visual audio tests, and those uh, semiotics, the very complicated uh, semiotics systems. So. I only came to uh, online observation because I did research in uh, on games. And also, part of the reason that I rely more on online interviews are really because of the pandemic, which uh, prevented us from doing offline interviews. But I find that for for the future, I think, that line would be even further blurred between online and offline because we can't find a physical field site without digital media anymore. Uh, I think that that would be the future. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. Ting Ting, you've undertaken some excellent and innovative research into gender and sexuality in digital gaming in China. Where might listeners find out more about your research? Oh, well, I have put my research on my Google Scholar profile. And I think that that's the place where you can find most of my work. Yeah. And thank you for paying attention to my work. I, I didn't have this kind of professional identity as someone who is like doing research on digital gaming. I, I am now sometimes approached by students who seek supervision from me about games. That gave me my professional identity as someone who is into games. So I, I really appreciate it because I think this is uh, the future. I think uh, in the future, we need more research into games. Yeah, I agree. I'm curious to know as well. I mean, do you 
feel that, that you have many peers in China who are doing digital games research? No, not at all. Not at all, because I, I, I don't think my university will, will brand me as someone who is doing digital game studies, because uh, I think the atmosphere in China, I think that uh, game studies are not very important or well-established discipline or an area. It's just an emerging area for a few researchers. And I often find that uh, it's very hard to explain to people when I wrote the paper. I can explain to them when, when the paper is published. When it's already out, then, then I can say, now you can see it's a research instead of my personal interest in pastime activity. <laughs> Okay, look, we should probably wrap it up there, but thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Phil, for having me.